Welcome to River's Edge Church Podcast. Each week we strive to bring you biblically accurate, exegetical preaching of God's Word so that you might belong, believe, and become like Christ. We hope that you will find this week's message beneficial in your walk with Christ. One of the things that we've been talking about lately, make sure I got this one on mute, um, is we've been spending the last couple weeks talking about depression, anxiety, and worry, specifically depression. And, um, you know, what we wanted to do is be able to give people like a kind of a, bi- a biblical principle and thought process on how to handle this. I know growing up, and I think many of you probably are in the same boat with this, this was not something that was brought up often. I don't remember ever hearing a sermon topic about depression. I don't remember ever hearing a pastor talking about it. It was oftentimes looked at as something that was a failing um, spiritually or Perhaps you had sin in your life, or perhaps you just didn't have enough faith. Um, and we talked about the reality of how many people deal with depression. And, um, and really, so what we tried to do the first week was really give us a definition as best we could from what is it, how do we look at it, how do we hold this process in our mind. And we kind of just pointed people at the fact that depression is suffering. It's a form of suffering. And if we look in the Bible, we won't find the words depression very often. But we'll find a lot about suffering. And we can begin understanding that. And I think, you know, what we've been trying to do is, is help those who wrestle with depression understand that um, it's okay that you're struggling with depression. Like, it's, it's not unbiblical. In fact, we can look over and over again. We looked at how Christ struggled with battling suffering and depression. We looked at Elijah. We looked at David. We looked at all these people who struggled with depression. Um, and then last week, I was honored and blessed to be able to have Aaron come up. And we spent a lot of time last week talking about, you know, how do we, um, what is it like to experience depression? And so I had Aaron come up and, and she shared her testimony. If you haven't got a chance to listen to it, it is on Facebook. Um, I'm posting the podcast this afternoon. Yes, I'm behind, but it'll be posted this afternoon if you want to listen to the audio of it. Um, or if you know someone who might benefit from it. And um, you know, Aaron was able to share some of her testimony about how God has used it, but what it was like to go through it. And then we spent some time of what is it like to experience someone you love who has depression? Like what are the thought processes of how do, we, how do you walk alongside somebody who's struggling? Because um, and, and, it's hard, right? It's, it's hard to describe depression if you've never really had it. Uh, it's hard to talk about how deep that darkness is and, and how hopeless it can feel and how alone and isolated. And so we spent some time doing that. What I wanted to do today was I wanted to spend some time talking about dealing with depression, like what, is the, what are some principles we should be using? And, and of course, for me, I'm like, well, we definitely should come from the Bible, and it should be certain. But also, we are very blessed. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but we have two certified counselors in our midst. Um, and I would have just been foolish not to lean on them and ask them to come be a part of what we're doing. And just from a, a clinical point of view, from a science and medicine point of view, hey, what are some things that would be helpful what are some things you can share with our congregation for those sh- who are struggling with this? Because this is a reality. Like, all of us struggle with, uh, a, you know, maybe a, a breeze of depression. But some of us are struggling with a lifelong battle with depression. And so I wanted them to come and just give them, give us some thoughts before we dive into our, our full sermon this morning. So um, I'm going to have Miss Melissa Wood come down. Um, she has her own practice. Um, and she's, yes, let's definitely do that. But she's been a great friend of mine and certainly an encouragement um, between her and her husband and her child. <laughs> and so uh, I just asked her to come down and share. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray real quick for both her. Um, we have our other speaker today as well. Um, so we're going to pray for her, Miss Courtney Smith. And then uh, I'm going to hand the mic over and let her talk. So let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we just thank you for the wisdom that you've given us uh, here today through your spirit, but also God through the ability to retain information, through the ability, God, that you've given us in compassion to want to help and, 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 and love on other people, God, to help heal other people, God. We, we, we celebrate that uh, because that's you coming out through us. That's us living out the image bearer that you've made us to be. And so, God, I'm so thankful for, um, for Courtney Smith, for Whit- Melissa Wood, to be able to willingly set aside time this week to prepare, to pray, to, to allow you to use them this morning. God, I just pray that you would in a mighty way. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, all you, sunshine. Thanks. <laughs> Hi, um, this is 
weird. I watch Mark get up here and read to y'all every week, and this is weird. Um, I don't normally talk to people that I can't see, solid, or with a microphone. Um, but I am a licensed professional counselor. I do have my own practice um, in North Myrtle Beach. And I'm just going to hit some highlights. I will tell you depression is a huge topic um, uh, in general, but especially from the clinical perspective, I would never help someone in the five minutes that I'm going to share stuff with you. It, they, people take weeks, months, years to work on this stuff. So don't feel like it didn't work. If you like hear me give you some pointers, then you walk out of here and you're like, oh, I still don't feel great. Um, that's not expected. So from a what is depression from a clinical standpoint, it kind of sounds like a medications commercial or like sadness, loss of interest in activities, fatigue, yada, 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 all the side effects they warn you about on a commercial. That's basically what depression looks like. You just aren't interested in life. You may be crying in the corner, um, or you may just be irritable. Um, that's a pretty common one. So if that's you, that could be what's happening, not necessarily. Just because you have depressive symptoms doesn't mean you have clinical depression. So there are varying levels of this. Um, but that's some of the stuff. I will touch briefly because I know this is part of it, although not one everybody likes to talk about, but suicidal thoughts are also in there or thoughts of self-harm. And I want to touch on that because it matters. Um, and oddly enough, someone posted this week and I remembered that not everybody knows, but 988 is the number you can call. So I just wanna put that out there. It's like 911 if you're having thoughts of self-harm or if you need to share that. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, women are twice as likely to get it as men. So that's just something to know. It shows up if you have a family history, that's a good indication. Um, and family history of anything, your family might have been diagnosed or you might just recognize it in your family. It doesn't really matter if it's a diagnosis or not. That's for insurance, not for reality. Um, so let's see, it often comes with anxiety. So depression and anxiety will come together. Sometimes one instigates the other. Sometimes you have anxiety about being depressed or you get depression because you have anxiety. Like they, they can be hard to pull apart. So if you have anxiety, that might be something to consider. Um, so some tools, we'll move into that because it's pretty easy to spot it most of the time if you know you're sad or you feel down but some tools to work through it. Again, I would typically give my clients one or two of these in a session to give them a starting off point. You are not going to successfully complete all of these tools um, in one week. So that's also something to know. Um, so I usually start and tell my clients to go outside for 15 minutes, preferably moving their body, but just get outside. 15 minutes of sunlight is really good from a chemical standpoint. And I'm not touching on that part of the science because that is unnecessary information. But just trust me, it's there. We can talk specifics if you want. Um, things like exercise, getting your body moving, socializing with people even when you don't feel like it, reaching out to someone, being around people, not isolating. Those are all big pieces of this. Depression loves to get you alone. It wants you to get alone and it wants you to go further down the spiral. And that is probably the hardest thing about depression is depression breeds depression and it just keeps going and you have to step out of it. And it is a big step and the people you love can help. So that's part of the socializing, call somebody. Um, other things that can help, hobbies, I, have learned to crochet. Most of you have seen me do it at some point. It's my current hobby. It chills me out. So if I'm doing it, I'm probably not feeling very chill at the moment, but I'm getting there. I'm working on it. And I'd rather do that and go for a run. So uh, I'll take crochet. Go on a blanket. Just wait for me to be stressed out. Um, what else? Okay, so the biggest piece I would say is when you decide to work on depression, obviously I'm a fan of therapy. So that's what I do for work. I will help you find someone. I know most of you in here, so I 
shouldn't be your therapist. Not to say I won't give you some ideas and stuff like what I'm doing today. Generally speaking, we don't have our friends as clients. It's not really considered ethical, but I would love to give you a list. I have a list on my computer. Probably should have sent it to Ross ahead of time, but I will send Ross that list. I have friends who do this in all parts of the Grand Strand, and I would happily give you their names. Um, Courtney has probably more that she can give you beyond mine. Um, and then take the plan, whatever it's going to be. If you're going to like, I'm going to walk 15 minutes every day to get out. That's a small plan, and start small. If you get to a place where depression has hit you, do not try to do seven new things in a week. That's going to be a tough route. If your loved one is dealing with depression, encourage them in whatever their small plan is. Depression is a hard place to be when it's your loved one. So I would recommend, one, <laughs> recognize it's not your responsibility to cure or heal them or fix them. You can't. You won't. It's not possible. You can love them. You can support them. Depending on your relationship with them, you might be able to nudge them. Um, I have a husband who's dealt with depression. Maybe when we were dating, I did more than nudge because I broke up with him. But we're back together, so. <laughs> you made it. <laughs> we made <together>. it. <laughs> um, he, he wasn't doing anything, and I didn't have the patience. Because, again, this is what I do for work. So, like, if you're not working, I'm not either. Um, so, good news, Mark worked on it, and I still like him. Um, and we got married a year after that, so it was all right. Um, let's see. Do not tell someone who has depression to get over it. It won't work. They can't. Like, that's not how that works. If you're sad and somebody's like, hey, suck it up, you're not, that's not going to cure you. So don't go that route. Support them. Encourage them. Find them resources if you want. Send me a message and be like, hey, can you send me that therapist list? And then just, like, leave it on the counter for them. You need to encourage them, but you don't need to take their depression as your responsibility. Um, is there anything else I missed? I don't really think so. That's a lot of the stuff about general depression, what it is, some tips on how to work on it. Again, this is not comprehensive. There are tons of things I didn't say. Hopefully, Courtney's got some of those that I didn't mention. I work mostly with adults, so I don't do therapy for children. That's just not my practice. Courtney does, so that's, she can speak better to that side of it. I didn't have the patience for that in my life. Um, it's important to know your limits, and that was mine. <laughs> um, I do couples counseling, though, so that's its own, its own fun. Um, but if you want to talk to somebody, I'm happy to touch base with you. I'm happy to give you someone to talk to. If you're having thoughts of self-harm, that is certainly a point at which to get help. Uh, if you feel like you don't know the coping skills to get out of your depression and your depressive episodes, that's a point to get help. If you're like, I'm not even sure if I need help, talk to me, talk to Courtney, whatever. We'll give you an idea of like, yeah, this is a good point to get help. This is beyond your grasp, and that's fine. Um, I know there are sometimes fears in therapy of all sorts of things that stop people from going. I am, Courtney and I are two very different people in general, um, and your therapists are all different people. So go to one. If you tell me I need someone who's going to cry with me, I need someone who gets in that like place with me, I know people like that. I am not people like that, but I know people like that, and I'm happy to get you that. Always find a therapist that fits your personality. I will work with you, change them. Don't give up on therapy because of one session. Always go back. And don't be scared that somehow you're going to go to therapy and like some sort of domino effect of scary things is going to happen. Most people just come in, they talk to me for an hour a week, and they leave. You don't get committed because you go to a therapist, and I know that's scary. You don't, we don't like drag you downtown somewhere and do something, you know, it's none of that. It's, it's really just, this is talking this is not a psychiatrist, to be clear. If you want medication, I'm not your girl. Um, I didn't go to that much school. But those people exist too, and I can help you with that. I'm happy to lead you down whatever path you want to take that. Um, 
And if there's something that I didn't say that you want to know, I mean, if you want to ask now, you're welcome to. Um, otherwise, Courtney can sure. do her thing. Let's, let's give Melissa a hand real quick. I, I really appreciate it. You did great. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so um, again, if you need some help, that's what they're here for. Um, so um, Courtney Smith, she is... She said she's going to speak the entire rest of the time, so I will see you guys at the end. Um, <laughs> but um, she is currently a counselor at North Myrtle Beach Middle School, but she's also in the process of opening up her own practice. And um, hopefully she uh, just, yeah, just encourage her. Let's give her a hand. Encourage her to <laughs> steal this back. Um, so I am used to holding a microphone and standing in front of all you guys, so that's good for me. Um, so I've been a counselor for the past eight years. Um, I work with children and adolescents. I've worked with children as young as three all the way up through meeting with them on their college campus. Um, but like he said, currently I am a mental health counselor at North Myrtle Beach Middle School. So I serve kids ages 11 to 14 primarily. We got a couple 15-year-olds in there, but, um, but that's basically it. Um, and there was something else I was going to say about that. But anyway, I'm going to start with a little fact for you guys. And this is going to be kind of a question and answer. Let me give a little background info. Um, so at North Myrtle Beach, well not North Myrtle Beach, Horry County Schools um, has a policy where anytime a student is suicidal or homicidal, so they make a statement about wanting to hurt themselves or hurt somebody else and seriously hurt them, not like get into a fight, um, two counselors are appointed in that school to do what's called a risk assessment. So the purpose of that is to determine what is the likelihood that this child is actually going to act on it, and it can be low, moderate, or severe. And then, you know, you take the steps according to what the severity is. So I want you guys to just think about and answer. Um, how many risk assessments, so how many times was a child suicidal or homicidal at North Myrtle Beach Middle School, kids 11 to 14, last school year? And keep in mind, it's only 180 days. So how many would you think? Like a number. Wow, that's a whole lot. <laughs> Okay. And again, this is to the point where they would need, like, they've reached out to a counselor, the counselor's talking to them about it, figuring out if they're actually going to kill themselves or kill somebody else. Okay. Those are higher than I was expecting, actually. Um, but the answer is 129. So 129 times there was a child that reached out to a counselor um, about wanting to end their life or end somebody else's. And um, honestly, it was probably me that talked to them. Um, so we tend to think of depression as being an adult problem and anxiety and suicidal thoughts, right? Because we look at our kids and we're like, what do you really have to be worried about? I give you most things that you want, right? I give you everything that you need. You've got a roof. You've got clothes. You've got all of these things. All I ask is that, you know, you do your homework. It's not that serious. Um, but depression is a child problem. Um, and so it might be, I might say some things that are kind of intense today, but it's because I, I want you guys to understand that it does affect our kids too. And it's hard because we, re you know, we recognize when we feel a certain way and we can take steps to do something about it or choose not to do something about it. But when it's your kids, it's a little harder to recognize. So I want to talk about today, what are some warning signs and what do you do about it? Um, but before I do that, I want to kind of preface two things. So it's going to sound like I'm talking to, to only parents today, but I'm not. I'm really talking to anyone who has a child in their life. And we at least all are part of a congregation that's half children. So I know all of you have children in your life in some capacity. Um, and like Melissa said, there is a severity scale to everything. So some of the things I say are going to be like, well, my, my kid does that, but it's kind of age appropriate. So think about, you know, how many of these are you checking off the list? And... Um, is there another explanation? Or are they just going through puberty and that's why they've gained a lot of weight because they grew five inches? All those things are something to take into consideration. Um, so anytime we do a risk assessment, we have to make a parent aware that we've done one and then um, you know, take safety measures at home, things like that. Um, so children nine times out of 10 are worried that their parents are either gonna be mad at them for having these feelings or disappointed in them for having these feelings. And what that tells us is that all children, no matter what, whether they argue with you all the time, whether they tell you they hate you, whether they're making bad choices all the time, they want your attention and they want your approval. So when they're not seeking those things, 
could mean that there could be a problem going on. So some warning signs. If your child is isolating themselves at home, majority of the time. So if, you know, it's normal for kids to want to decompress a little bit when they get home from school, just like we want to when we get home from work. But if they're spending majority of their time in their room and not wanting to spend time with the family, that could be a problem. Um, and also, we're all created to be social. So if your child isn't wanting to go out and do anything with anybody else, you know, they used to have a lot of friends. Suddenly, they don't want to spend time with their friends. They used to play a sport. They don't want to play the sport anymore. Um, they don't want to go out to dinner with the family. They don't want to go to their best friend's birthday party. Those are some things that just could be problematic. Drastic changes. This is the one that's kind of, you know, there could be other factors to take into consideration. But drastic changes in their life. And this could mean a lot of different things. So like I mentioned, weight gain or weight loss. So in excess of, you know, 15 to 20 pounds, either losing or gaining could be significant. Um, they're suddenly binge eating or they suddenly stop eating. Um, like I said, they played a sport and now they don't want to play that sport, sport anymore. A significant drop in grades. They used to be an AB student and now they're, you know, they're failing everything. Could be warning signs. Um, this is one that people don't I think typically know about or think about, um, but somatic symptoms or physical ailments. So these are your kids who are constantly complaining that they have a headache or a stomach ache or they're having back pain. Um, and these could be one of two things, either attention or avoidance. Um, so it could be that your child really is experiencing these symptoms. They do constantly have a headache or a stomach ache. And if it's not explained by a medical reason, it could be that they're having such extreme depression or anxiety that it's causing an effect on their body, just like it does for us when we carry all that tension around. Or they're acting as if they do because, again, they want attention or to avoid something. Um, this can also look like in younger children, kids who hurt themselves all the time, kids who are always bruised, kids who are always falling down, kids who always need a Band-Aid, um, could be you know, seeking out your attention or to avoid something. And this can become a more significant problem later on because these could turn into kids who, who self-harm. Um, and that could either look like, you know, them hitting themselves or punching themselves or um, pulling their hair out, but also more severe things like cutting or even burning themselves. Um, so now I want to talk about what you do about that. Um, so keep in mind, you manifest what you give your energy to. So if you're giving your child or the child in your life more negative attention than you are positive attention, they're going to make sure there's a negative thing to get that energy about or get that energy, give that energy to. Um, so, for example, if, you, if the only time you really spend alone with your child is doing homework with them, which seems like a great thing, your kid's going to make sure that they have missing assignments to do so that they get your attention. Um, or if, you know, the only time that you you give them a lot of energy is when you're yelling at them, they're gonna make sure that they're in trouble so that there's something to yell about. So make sure that you're giving the kids in your life more positive attention than you are negative attention. Um, I would encourage all parents or anyone who has children in their life, again, to spend at least 10 minutes with your kids. Um, 10 minutes that are kind of uninterrupted, so no technology, not sitting together watching a YouTube video or um, watching TV or playing a video game, but just time alone with your child. And you would just be surprised how much they open up and want to talk and want to spend time with you when you probably think that they don't. And this is especially like as they get into their teenage years. Um, validate your kids' feelings and experiences. Like I said, it's easy for us to recognize when we're feeling a certain way, but it's hard to trust when our kids are feeling a certain way. Um, so if your kids are telling you that they're sad or they're angry, Take them seriously. Validate those feelings. Talk to them about what experience made them to, you know, made them feel that way. And that's especially important as they're young because it's easy for us to just say, like, oh, it's okay. Like, get up. You'll be fine. But we don't know that, you know. And that can turn into more significant problems later on. And take your kids seriously. I can't tell you how many times I have done a risk assessment and the parents were aware that their child had either cut themselves or was thinking about hurting themselves or was suicidal and they immediately jump into counselor mode, which is great, but you're the best parent for your child. God created you to be a parent or a grandparent or whatever it is to the child in your life, but you're not a professional. And I just can't tell you how many times I, I have sat with parents and they've said, well, I, I told them to do this to fix the problem, but what they told them to do isn't what was actually gonna fix the problem. So please, 
seek out a professional if your child is telling you these things or if they tell you these things down the road or if you know that their friends or other people in your family are dealing with these things. Somehow encourage them to seek out a professional. Um, like Melissa said, sometimes those, those resources can seem like it's, it's difficult to find, right? It's, it's not like people aren't always out there just advertising counseling because it's something that people don't really talk about, unfortunately. Um, but I am partnered with a program that um, it's like a referral program. So if you are looking for a counselor now or if you find yourself looking for a counselor in the future, um, and I can help with adults too. It doesn't have to just be children. Um, it, I would just give them your contact information and they would contact you and then they would do all of the legwork with finding you a counselor. So they have a database with all the counselors in the area and telehealth. Um, and so they would actually connect you with the counselor and all you have to do is call and make the appointment. So if that's something that you're interested in or become interested in the future, please reach out to me and um, I can get you that information. And the last thing I will say is that we all need to be praying for our kids. Um, and not just your kids, but all kids. Because even if your kids aren't dealing with these things, I promise that they are friends with people who are. Or they know people who are. They're in class with kids who are. Um, and these things are being talked about. And it's all over social media. And that's a whole other soapbox that I could get on, but I won't. Um, so please, pray for our kids. Because 129 suicidal children in one school is too many. Thank you. You're great. Thank you so much. Um, again, I, I'm just thankful and honored that we have people who are willing to do this. It's not easy coming up and standing up here and sharing, even on topics you're familiar with, um, but especially things that are difficult. You know, this is not an easy topic. As I told you guys at the beginning, I don't want to preach this. I was like, no, this sounds terrible, and I don't want to do it. But... Um, who am I to tell the Lord what to do? You know what I mean? Um, and I'll be honest with you, oddly enough, this has been one of those things where, man, I've seen so many people respond to what we've been doing, how we've been preaching, and, 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 and how we've been talking about this. Because I think it's something that so many people really need. And that's what we're called to do, right? Like, that's, our, that's what we're called to do, right? Help those in need, <laughs> right? That's what Christ called all of his people to do. Um, so now I get the task. Now we've been thankful to have the professionals talk. Um, I get the task to follow them up, but what I wanted to lean into is there's a, there's a, a physical element, right, in the sense of a, a medicinal, clinical ways that we handle things, and I would, I would start with this. One, that always needs to be your first pursuit, right? You need to pursue that. Um, if you're struggling, pursue that. Alongside that, we can focus on the spiritual aspects, but there's, there's times where it's literally our physical bodies, the makeup of who we are, our chemical imbalances, um, you know, past trauma that we're trying to work through, and we need people. So there's, you know, those things aren't wrong. I know there's been generations that grew up that said all things medicine are bad, right? God's going to heal us all in just certain ways. God's given us brains, people. He's given us intellect and, and the ability to desire to know all the things he's created. He's placed on this planet things that will help our bodies cure themselves. He's given us one another and community to help cure ourselves and, and do these things. So he works in whatever ways he chooses. But I would encourage you, certainly, do not forsake one path for the other. It's and. We live in a world of tension, right? We can pursue both things equally um, and with as much gusto. So I wanted to come from the point of a spiritual, uh, spiritual response of how do we look at, think about, and deal with um, depression. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. There are parts of this that are hard to wrestle with, and I'm still wrestling with it. So forgive me. I'm not going to go in some of this I'm not going to go in great detail about because I don't know. And I, I will not tell you something I cannot confidently like point you to a place in the Bible so this is what it says. But I will start with the Bible this morning at Ephesians 6.12. And we've heard this before, but I want to point it out. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in heaven. Now, there's like 400 versions of this verse, and they all have kind of the same language. We don't fight against just our flesh. We don't fight against just the things we can see and feel and touch. There is a spiritual element that is so far from our understanding that is at work constantly. There is a war waging that we cannot see. There just is. And if, and if I am going to sit up here and say, I believe that God's word is true and it's inerrant, then I got to look at passages like this, which are super hard and go, well, that's true, right? Like, I got to stare at that and go, something's happening. I don't know all the details. 
I'm still wrestling through with some of this. But I do know that there are times where there's spiritual afflictions on people, and that manifests itself in some weird ways. Now, if for the most part, we all grew up in a society that showed us when spiritual oppression looks like exorcism, right? Like people spinning their head and vomiting green stuff everywhere. That's how we grew up. But that's not really the reality. When we look in the Bible and we see what oppression, demonic oppression looks like or, or what possession looks like, which are, again, super difficult topics to talk about. We see something different. We see things that look very similar to mental illness. We see things that are hard to describe, but there. We see Christ talk about this, command his disciples to do this. And so as we go into this, I, I want to say that. Like, I, I want you to understand, like, I don't have all these answers, and I'm not giving you a definitive thing. We've talked about this over and over again, that, yes, depression is not solely the cause of sin. Outside of, like, you sin, now you have depression, or you don't have enough faith, and you have depression. It can be a multitude of things, but it can also be an and thing. We, we, we carry the sins of our fathers. We know this because the Bible tells us this. We're afflicted by the same things that our parents were afflicted with, what our grandparents were afflicted with. And we can come up with a hundred names for it, but it all has to do with the spiritual realm that we don't quite grasp. So I don't want to sit up here and tell you that it doesn't exist, but I don't want to sit up here and tell you that I got all the answers. Um, but I know what God does. And, and that's where I want to kind of point you at today. I want to point you to a God who has answers for us when we are dealing with things like depression, anxiety, and worry. And what do we do? And so that's where I wanted to lean in today as much as possible. Um, because there is hope. So what are these spiritual recourses? Well, first, um, I want to point you to a verse in Philippians. Philippians 4, 3 through, or 5 through 6. It says, the Lord is near, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, most of us have heard, number. we heard verse 6, don't worry about anything, all right? And that sounds like great advice, right? Matter of fact, both counselors totally said, do that, tell them just don't worry, and they'll get over it, right? No. You always have, I have to remind myself of this, and I'm going to remind you this, when the Bible was written, we didn't have any of the chapters and the numbers, it was just one letter. So when Paul wrote this to the Philippians, the way he wrote it was, the Lord is near, don't worry. Now that's powerful. That sounds different than just don't worry. Right? That sounds a little bit different because we now have a reason not to worry. Why? Because God is near. God is near. And So here's our, our first encouragement. Um, seek God, not relief. I don't know that's hard. <laughs> like for some of us, it's like, well, I, didn't, I, don't, I don't like that. I know. I don't either. I don't like having to sit here and tell you that. I don't like the honesty of having to accept that. But that's the reality. Seek God first. Don't seek the relief. Not first. Pain makes us do crazy things. If you look throughout history, some of the most insane people that we think are just like absolute crazy, just we're dealing with an enormous amount of pain. Uh, one example is Henry VII. Um, if you don't know who that is, that's the guy who married a lot of wives and then beheaded them all. Um, and just, it was a horrible human. But if you read history on him, you find out that he had a horrible accident, which left him in an enormous amount of pain. And he lived the remainder of his life basically fighting pain and being a horrible person because of it, because of either what he was coping with or just because pain can make you do weird things. There's nothing, and any hunter will tell you this, there's a, there, the second most dangerous thing on the planet is an animal in pain. The first is a human in pain. Like, there's something that is desperate when we are suffering. But here's the thing, in the midst of our suffering, we can become very quickly idol worshipers. We can be devout Christians. We could have grown up in the church our whole life. We could be pastors and preachers. We can be servants of the Lord. We can be missionaries on the mission field. But the moment suffering enters our life, we can instantly become idol worshipers. And the thing that we worship is relief. God, I just want to be out of this circumstance. God, I just don't want to be in pain anymore. God, I just want to, I want to find some relief. And we think that the thing that we want is the relief. We forget that the thing that we really need is God. Now, 
We serve a good God. And that God will bring us relief. But that promise isn't necessarily now. What is promised is that our Lord is near. And then in the midst of our worst moments, in the midst of our suffering, God is with us. He has not forsaken us. And God has promised to do several things, but none of them are necessarily the thing that we want. Right? God has promised never to fail us. God has promised to love us. God has promised to be with us, to walk with us, to strengthen us. But if you read carefully, it isn't always God's always going to heal you. I, I want to point you to the prayer that Christ said as he's preparing to go on the cross. Lord, if, it, if, it, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Jesus knew what he was stepping into. He knew exactly what was coming. He knew the amount of suffering that he was about to endure. And he begged God, if this was your will, God, please, I don't want to have to go through this. But let your will be done. Sometimes we're just called to endure the suffering. But I don't know what that is always going to be. But I do know that we can't seek the healing and not seek the healer. That's our primary thing. We can't let our circumstances change what we're pursuing. And that is probably the hardest thing to hear if you're wrestling in the depths of depression or if you're wrestling in the crazy, chaotic ways of anxiety. Like, you, that's a hard thing to hear. Like, you just want to be rescued, right? Like, you just want to be freed. And I can assure you, if you pursue God, you will find relief and you'll find rest. But you may not find freedom from your circumstance. You may still have to struggle with depression. You may still have to wrestle with anxiety. But that's the reality. But it's only temporary. But the first thing is that we have to pursue God. Seek him before all things else. The second thing is, again, <laughs> a hard thing, repentance. Now, as I mentioned before, depression is not a sole sinful thing. Uh, we've seen evidence of it. If we've seen it in Christ, then we can say that it itself is not caused by nor an uh, inclination of sin. But we do know this. Sometimes depression is a result of sin. Uh, sin has consequences. When we do things that have consequences, some of those consequences may be that we are struggling with shame or guilt. We invite things into our life because we made bad decisions. And so, regardless of that, if we want to be in God's presence, we always have to, we need to seek repentance. I'm not saying you repent from your depression. What you do is you, you ask God to show in your life, hey, what am I, what's keeping me from you? What's hindering me from worshiping you properly? What's hindering me from being in your presence or desiring to know you? What are those things? Let me repent from those things. Again, this isn't the cure. This is a process. I assure you, if you ask God this, he will show it to you. It's not fun. It's not, it's not pleasant. To have to stand before the holiest of holies and go, hey, um, how do I measure up? And realize and knowing you're not going to. But we can't fully pursue God if we're not willing to let up other things. Right? If we're, if we're going to keep certain sins in our life, it's, it's going to hinder our relationship with God. It's going to keep us from having access and, and a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's just a reality. We have to be willing to give up those hidden sins. Some of those things are things we really enjoy. Some of those things we have no idea are actually going on behind the scenes. We just, we're oblivious to them. I spoke a few weeks ago about pride. Pride is so sneaky and simple. It just creeps into your life to a point where you're like, man, I'm pretty proud of how humble I am. You know? I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty humble dude. Look at me. So yes, repentance is part of that process. And again, I know for those struggling with depression, man, like that's like the last thing you want to hear. Because you, I know some of you are dealing with shame and some of you are dealing, this isn't anything, we're all sinners. I can't stand up here and tell you anything that I can't preach to myself. I have to repent. And it's a daily process. That's why God said you have to pick up your cross daily, every day. Seek God. 
If we really want to pursue God, if we really want to be in his presence, then we have to ask for repentance. I had a verse with this that went well, so I'm going to read it. Ephesians encourages us to do the same thing. It says, take off your former way of life, the old self that is, corrupt, uh, that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. Man, we carry a lot of baggage with us. And so part of that repenting process is that. And it is a journey. Uh, all of these, both these ladies said the same thing. It's not an instant cure. Most people go to counseling and they stay in counseling for a very long time. And that's just to learn a lot of times to cope with it, not to eradicate it. So it's a process. Our sanctification is the same way. Our journey to grow and be more and more closer to God and more like Christ is a journey. And it's one that we will not fulfill in this life. Not fully, but we pursue it. And we do it by this. Like we take off those old things that we used to be. We remove them. We take them out of our life the way that we talk to, to ourselves. Right? Like that's a, that's a little thing. How many of you think that that's a sin? It is. Like if you're down talking yourself, that's not what God has for you. That's not from God. Because God looks at you and he thinks, man, look at this marvelous creation I made. Look at, look at this image bearer that I've created. More importantly, if you're a believer, God sees you through the lens of his son. So you belong to him. How many of you sit and just stare at your kid and go, oh, that's a horrible person. I hate that kid. You know, like, no, that's not what we're supposed to do. It's okay. You can ask for repentance if you've done that a few times, okay? <laughs> but I mean, you know what I mean? Like, we, when we see our kids, like, that's not what we see. And that's not what God sees. But that's just a simple example of one of those things. Those, those things that we hear, those things that we listen to. The third one, which I love that it was said, because then I get reiterated, is pray. Oh my gosh, we can't pray enough. And when I say pray, I mean like this, get in God's presence. Like, like get all up in his business. Sit and listen. Cry out to the Lord. You know, there was a time where they were like, you know, you need to really think about what you're praying. I'll be honest with you, I've, I've mentioned this before, but I, we don't have to think about what we're saying. We just need to be saying something because too many of us get really busy. And the more busy we get, the less we pray. And the less we pray, we, the less we're in God's presence. And then we're wondering, why isn't God really saying much to me? When was the last time you talked to him? When was the last time you sat down and was interested in what he was talking about? When was the last time you cried out to him? You know what I find interesting is that the Israelites in Egypt at the beginning of Exodus were just crying out. It doesn't even say that they cried out to the Lord. It said they cried out and God heard them. Like, how wonderful is that? We have a God so good, he's just waiting, like, he hears us even when we're so far from him. When we're so far removed from him, he can still hear us and hear our cries and be compassionate for us. Cry out to the Lord. And it's okay if you're angry. Like, let me give you some freedom here. You can be pissed off that you're not feeling great. You can kind of go like, hey, what's going on? Because God's big enough for that. You know, he's big enough for you to handle that. Turns out. He can understand where you're coming from. He can take it. And that's what relationships are about, right? Like, not every conversation that we have with our loved ones is a great one, right? Sometimes... We don't talk real nice to each other. Sometimes we're just angry. Sometimes we need a snack, you know, and a nap. And that's okay. But, man, the worst thing we can do in a relationship is what? Just not talk, not communicate. Just, just clam up. It'd be better to say the wrong thing than nothing at all. I'd rather say the wrong thing than nothing at all. But cry out. Pour your heart out before the Lord. There's two more. One is, the second and last one is call upon your community. Oh, man, I can't tell you. Okay, I want you to think about this story. Okay, this is Mark 3. If you want to go, or Mark 2, if you want to go to Mark 2 and read this later, please do if you haven't. 
I want to encourage you. And I got a Bible right here I'll give you if you want to read this story. But there's a story about a paralyzed man with four friends. And Jesus is teaching in a house, and it's packed, right? Of course it is. It's Jesus. It's awesome. Okay? It's more packed than a Taylor Swift concert. It's just people are shoved in there. And they can't get to him. So they, you're like, hey, you know what we should do? One of them was really smart. He's like, we should go to the roof. And they did. And they tore that roof up, and they lowered their friend right in front of Jesus. That's the kind of people you need in your life. You need friends who are not afraid to rip the ceiling off of a roof to lower you in there, to get you to Jesus. That's the kind of people. And here's the thing. That's the kind of people we're called to be. You know why? Because I guarantee you that's messy. That's messy, isn't it? That's, it's, a, to, to, it's, it's labor intensive to carry your friend to the feet of Jesus. It's labor intensive to go and, and do whatever you got to do to get that person to Jesus. Like, I hate to tell you, it, it was messy on that roof when they were ripping up all those tiles. And guess what? They, they probably had to fix that. I'm pretty sure they didn't just leave a hole in the roof. Okay? It is. Boy, is it messy stepping into someone else's life. But, man, that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. That's what Jesus did every day of his ministry. Stepped into people's messes. He didn't make them get cleaned up before they come to him. He waded right in. And he walked alongside them. That's the kind of people you need. And here's what I hope. I'm hoping we are building a church like that. I can't, I can't promise we are. I don't know. But that's what I'm hoping. That's what church is supposed to be. There's a, a bunch of people who are just adamant about getting broken people to Jesus all day long. And I know we have this thought process in our heads like, oh, man, it's always the lost people. No, it's not. Sometimes it's us. Sometimes we're dragging our friends to Jesus because our friends are hurting. Our friends are suffering. Our friends are in need. But we won't know that if we don't cry out. You heard it over and over again today. The, the, the most dangerous thing, Aaron mentioned this last week, the most dangerous thing about depression, anxiety, and any of those type of illnesses, the isolation. Satan is not dumb. He has the same game plan since day one. Isolate, right? Divide and conquer, baby. Because he knows this. The one thing God has very clearly and literally the first thing that he declared wasn't good, man not to be alone, right? That's what he said. No, it's not good for man to be alone. No, it ain't. It's not good for us to be alone. We need other people. We need other people to bear our burdens. That's why we're called to be a community. That's why we're called there. The last one is important. is perseverance. Don't give up. Don't give up. It's amazing to me that in the list of the fruits of the Spirit is perseverance. That's in there. I looked it up. I was like, holy smokes, it's cool. I think it's exciting. Because no matter what, if you have a relationship with God, if you have a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, you have something worth fighting for. Now, look, I get it. Maybe tomorrow is too much to think about. So, so take the next minute. Can you get through the next minute? And then after that, maybe we can put another minute on there. And we just get through that. And that's all we focus on. But don't give up. The Lord is near. Don't give up. There's a community out there that loves you. Don't give up. God's going to use you. Don't give up. God loves you. Don't give up. In the midst of the, the hardest times, that's the thing that we, we, we forget about. Right? Like we, we, we lose sight of that perspective. And sometimes the only thing that you got going for you is that you just didn't quit, you know? And that's it. Sometimes, I, you know, when I was in college, and I'll close with this, um, I went to Appalachian State, and my first time we had a team meeting, there was this highly recruited, talented young man who was the backup in front of me. And it was very unlikely that I was going to beat him out to get a scholarship of any kind or even see playing time. It was just unlikely. Like, he was very talented, very gifted, 
Um, and so I just, I didn't worry about it. I just said, I'm just going to, I'm going to figure out, I'm just going to keep going and see what happens. There was a part of me that was like, yeah, I don't know if this is going to work out, but maybe we should quit. Yeah, it wasn't looking good. The next day he quit. <laughs> he just, he, and I immediately got made back up. I was like, what in the world just happened here? And, and that is oftentimes it. Like, just are you, are you in love enough with God? Are you just so hard-headed? Can you be hard-headed enough for the Lord, if you will, to just hold on, to persevere just a little longer, to go just, just one more day? And if you do enough days in a row, they become a year. You know that? Like 365 approximately. But that's it. Like sometimes you can get to that place where like that's the thing. God promises that he would embody that with us in the Holy Spirit. That's the promise he gives us. One of those promises is perseverance. That's the ability to just grit our teeth and make it through a hard time for a little bit longer. Because there will be days. There will be better days. And they're coming. And there were good days before. But the best days won't be here until the next life. And that's the day we celebrate. But in the meantime, man, God's got a great and mighty work for us. And sometimes it's not fun. And sometimes that burden's heavy. But man, we serve a good God. Let us not forget that. I'm going to have the worship team come up and close today. But as they do, I hope you guys have found this encouraging. And I hope that amidst the many resources we try to give you, that you understand you know, the biggest resource you have is the people here. The people here who are going to take you to the man with all the answers. To God who will be able to provide for you in every way. And that's what we're all hoping to be, right? Like that's, that's the goal, is to point people to Jesus constantly. And so for those who are struggling with that, uh, I hope you found this encouraging. For those who haven't but have loved ones, man, I hope you've been encouraged in how you're loving somebody. I, I hope you've been encouraged on how you are able to bear their burdens with them because I know that, that that's a hard route and it can be frustrating and exhausting. And most of all, like I said, I hope that in the midst of all of our suffering and all of our struggles and all of our obstacles, we don't allow our circumstances to dictate how we praise God. So let's bow our heads. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We want to encourage you to like and follow so that we might reach others with God's good news. You can hear more messages like this at www.theriversedge.church. Have a blessed week.